0: Well, good morning again. Welcome. So good to be together, to hear you sing, to gather together in prayer, and to come together to the Word. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. Words will be on the screen. We are working through the armor of God. It's a last portion of this letter. It's the final surge of encouragement that the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus to to make much of Jesus, both in what they believe in their doctrine, but also in how they live, in the culture of their church, to be encouragers and equippers of one another, so as to continue following after Christ in a world that makes it incredibly difficult to do so or easy to bail. As we look at the armor, we're really ultimately seeing all that God has provided for us in Jesus. Now, really, this armor is to... This description of the armor that the Apostle Paul works through is really helping us to see the sufficiency of Jesus for our lives right now. We're going to read verses 13 and the beginning part of 17. 13 kind of gives us the the context of what Paul's calling us to do, and then verse 17, the beginning part, is this specific piece of armor that's going to be our focus this morning. All right, let's hear God's Word. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm and take the helmet of salvation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would help us this morning as we come to it, that it would settle our hearts and give us courage and strength as we wrestle with it and think upon it as we see in it all that you have provided for in Jesus. Do good work in us, God. We, we need it. We come tired or weary. We come worn out or distracted. We come. We're here. We're gathered. And would you do a good work? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. There are many counterfeit hopes in this world. A counterfeit is something that looks close enough to the real thing, but it's a fake. It's empty. It doesn't possess the same substance and value of that which is real. When we think of the word counterfeit, maybe what comes to mind right away is pieces of art or money. Uh, But there are also, for us, counterfeit hopes. A long, comfortable, healthy life with happy loved ones all around you. Some variation of that gets held up to you as the ultimate aim and hope of life. Pursue this Find it, and you will be happy. And then life happens. It's a lot harder and a lot more complicated than what that hope seemed to present. As a result, we could spiral into disillusionment and despair. We could find ourselves sinking into a calloused apathy, angry at everyone and anything. Or we find ourselves making our hopes a lot more smaller, a lot more achievable, To mask the ache that we feel. When we ask something good. I didn't rattle off anything bad. But when we ask something good to be ultimate for us. We find ourselves in a trap. And it's very easy to walk into this trap. What can we do? What can we do? Well for our instructions and encouragement this morning. We get called to take up and take on and put on the helmet of salvation, that we would keep the ultimate thing ultimate, that it actually prov- brings about a, a profound sense of hope and comfort and peace into our lives, no matter what the circumstances around them might be. And that this is a daily battle, in fact, because there are daily distractions and daily discouragements and daily reasons why we may feel disillusioned or despair. And so we need to take up this Helmet of salvation, not just in some moment of an altar call that would happen at a church, but in the moment of every day, in the moment of each day as it begins. That we set our heads and our hearts on that which is real, that which is ultimate. That we'd see because of Jesus that we can actually have a sure hope in this life. And this helmet of salvation that we're called to put on fosters in us that, just that, a sure hope. It fosters in the wearer of the helmet a sure hope. A sure hope in the midst of anything and everything and for all eternity, a sure hope. And that sure hope also begins to settle in our hearts, bringing about or fostering in us a confident courage to live out our faith this day. A sure hope for all the days and a confident courage in this day. That's what we see at work here by putting on this helmet. By putting on this helmet. So let's try to put on that helmet together today. First of all, let's consider that we find here a sure hope. That is a hope for all the days. And that this sure hope for all the days is because of this chief and overriding reality. Salvation is certain. Of all the things that we could set our heads and our hearts on. We have this most incredible news from God's word to us. That this thing called salvation is not Hanging in the balance. It's not teetering because of how you feel or might not feel, or or how you live or how you might not live. It's sure and it's certain. It's our very basis for us to have a sure hope. Salvation is certain. And the Apostle Paul it t- it takes this idea of salvation and connects it to a helmet. Helmet's important. It's a critical piece of armor that has a twofold purpose. It defends And it emboldens the one who puts it on. It defends. It's a a form of defense and protection. And yet it also emboldens the wearer of the helmet. And we see that this helmet is a helmet of salvation. What we put on is that of a certain victory over all that threatens the soul. That's what the salvation is speaking to. This helmet of salvation is that we're putting on certain victory over all that threatens the soul. That's sin, that's death, that's this world, that's the evil one. I mean, think about what sin does. It it separates us from God. It brings about our death. It holds us in bondage to the things of this world. It convinces us to listen to the lies of Satan. It is too much for us to overcome. There's no hope of salvation if left to ourselves. And so taking up this helmet of salvation is taking up a sure and certain victory over sin and all that it brings. What makes this salvation so certain? Well, the one who secures it. That's where our our attention is to funnel when we think of the helmet of salvation. It's... To funnel our thoughts and our affections, our focus, to the one who actually secures that salvation. Once again, we go to the Old Testament to see what this armor is really based on. It's based on God. God who promised to take up our cause. God who said, I will wear the helmet to give you a victory you would never otherwise have. Isaiah 59, again We referenced this a few weeks back when we talked about a different piece of the armor, but we're going to see here why we're going back to it again. Isaiah 59 verses 15 through 17 says this. The Lord saw it. He looked at the plight of mankind sunk under the weight and consequences of sin. That's what he saw, right? And it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then... His own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. God, in this very symbolic and fascinating moment in Isaiah 59, anticipating what God would do through the person and work of Jesus, God is promising to come to defeat the greatest of enemies, our sin, and all that it brings. That God himself would come and do it. So salvation is not certain because of our cooperation and involvement. Salvation is certain because of God's promise and power in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so all that feels tumultuous in our lives, are around our lives, or in our hearts, or in our minds, we counter that with that which is certain. And that which is certain is that what God promised and accomplished in the person work of Jesus Christ. Salvation is certain. So what we take up is this certainty, a sure hope. Salvation is certain, therefore... Our hope is sure. Hope. We all want it. We all chase it. Hope. But I want us to also know that the Bible never uses the word hope as a wish or as some sort of vague optimism. The Bible uses or presents to us hope as a conviction firmly entrenched in who God is and what God has done. In fact, we are to see this hope associated with this helmet of salvation. In fact, Paul brings it up again in a different letter that he wrote in First Thessalonians five eight. We have this. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Don't insert the word wish. It's not the, the wishful hope of salvation. It's... The firmly entrenched reality and certainty and surety of salvation. Why? Because God has done it. In this world, we will have many spiritual anxieties, many crises of beliefs if we chase all sorts of lesser hopes. And the world offers many pursuits to ease that spiritual anxiety that rests in our hearts. But what God has promised and provided in salvation through Jesus is our only means of a real, substantial, fixed, firm, sure hope. Well, how? How can it be? Because Jesus came? And put on the helmet for us. Jesus fought the battle we could never fight. Jesus won a victory we could never achieve. Jesus did it. Therein lies our hope. Therein lies a sure, confident hope. Through the life Jesus lived for us. And the death he died in our place. And the resurrection that says all has been won. We have a firmly entrenched hope. A hope that reaches longer than the shadows of our death. Death does not snuff out our hope. Hope lasts longer than our very deaths. This is what we have in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. In this salvation that He has secured. Something greater. Recently, um, a a pastor and a a theologian, uh, a commentator on life and whatnot, uh, passed away this week, uh, Tim Keller. He had a profound way of making incredibly complicated things seem so simple and clear. And he said this, if the resurrection is true, And everything is going to be all right. And this for the believer, for the one clinging to Christ through faith, this is the hope. No matter what we face in this life, no matter what we experience, this is the hope. If the resurrection is true, then everything's going to be all right. Why? Because Jesus has done it. Jesus has done it. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says this. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If this is true then no matter what, things will be okay. We have this hope. We have this, this profound hope. Because salvation is certain. This is what this helmet means. This is why it's a helmet for every day. Because every day we live in a world that's set up to operate in a way to distract us or to discourage us or to dissuade us from even glancing at the helmet, let alone putting it on. This helmet counters the schemes set up to provoke you to question salvation, to doubt God. As we noted earlier in Ephesians 6.11, what's operating right now and why this armor is so crucially important for us is that um, there are schemes that are operating in the world schemes is the word that's used to divert you off of the path That's the same word there divert you off of the path In six eleven, it says put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against The schemes of the devil And as we've been walking through this series looking at the armor We've tried to isolate or point out various schemes that that particular armor would maybe counter or deal with and so Here we find that the devil, or the evil one, sets up schemes in this world to divert you off of the path. And these schemes kind of operate like lobster traps. I'm not super familiar with lobster traps, so I had to look it up. Recently saw a bunch of lobster traps. I'm like, how does that work? This is what rattled in the back of my mind. I'm not from the East Coast, and so I wanted to better know uh, what in the world. And so um, how does this work? Uh, why do lobsters go in this, like, little carriage thing? Anyway, again, a little fish-out-of-water moment for me. A lobster traps are made for lobsters to walk right in, right into them. Once they are in the trap, there's a funnel design that makes it so that they cannot walk out. Most lobster traps, at least as I've come to better understand, have two inner compartments. One is known as the kitchen and then the other is known as the parlor. The lobsters in- <laughs> seems so nice. <laughs> Why don't you come on into the parlor? There's a lot of butter and deliciousness waiting for you, right? <laughs> the lobsters enter the trap through the door that leads to the kitchen, where there's a bait that is located. The lobster grabs the bait from a bait bag, and then once it grabs it, it attempts to go through the kitchen, but really it's just going further into the funnel. It right into the parlor where it cannot ever leave until it meets your plate. The kitchen in the parlor. Kitchen in the parlor. I feel like we live in a world that's a big giant carriage, a lobster trap. The kitchen offers you an escape from the struggles and challenges and circumstances of this life. To give you some sort of semblance of purpose and meaning of, and hope it 's offering you this escape from all that which you struggle with, all that ails you, all that that seems to make your life difficult. It distracts you with the good life with the good of the good life, things like comfort and identity, things like purpose or acceptance. We see that bait looks good. Nothing inherently bad with any of those things that I just rattled off. But yet it's set up in such a way to bring us into the kitchen. And yet we say, when we look at this helmet, we have all of that which is being offered in this bait. We have all of that and more in Jesus. But the schemes of the world offer what appears to be something maybe a little more tangible to you a little more reach out and touch it than what we might think about with Jesus. It subtly sinks into our thinking that salvation is really, it's really kind of about something that happened either a long time ago or something that won't really, really matter at all until much longer down the road to distract you from seeing that as very relevant in your very moment right now. A scheme of this kitchen is to work in you an out-of-sight, out-of-mind idea With relation to the helmet of salvation. To convince you that salvation is not that big of a daily deal for you. But these other things are. And so into the kitchen we go. And we grab that bait back. And we want to construct our own sense of identity and purpose and meaning and worth. And we toss aside the inestimable amount of identity and purpose and worth that God made us in his image and redeemed us for in Christ. We need desperately every day this helmet of salvation. Not that it's because we need saved every day as if we've lost it. We need it every day because of how worth how much worth it has. How much good it is for our hearts and our souls and our minds and our lives. And because of the onslaught of all the things to pull at our attention to say is more important. We need it. The kitchen looks good. We need this helmet. And as we do, we see that in it, we have a sure hope. Something real. Something that lasts. Something greater than the circumstances of our lives. And as we do, and as we take up that helmet and put it on, as we know it in greater measure... As we see that things will work out in the end. Even if all the days until the end are hard. It will work out at the end because Jesus is not dead. He's alive. Our hope rests in him. That hope then settles into our hearts and brings about a confident courage to live out this day. We can have a sure hope for all the days. And that sure hope for all the days shows up in our daily life as a confident courage for this day. Confident courage for this day. And it's first of all, confidence that's fixed on Jesus. It's a confidence that's fixed on Jesus. That's crucially important. It's a confidence that's fixed on Jesus. Much in this world is schemed to disrupt your faith, to discourage your heart, to distract your thoughts from Jesus. I understand this, you understand this, that life can be hard, that distractions can be easy, and opposition can seem very real. And as a result of experiencing all of that, it can shake our confidence to live with courage in the face of such circumstances. That we can look at the things that are going on around us, or the things that are, we're struggling within us, and we can lose our way, we can lose our confidence to to live a, a courageous faith this day. And so, when we look at this helmet of salvation and all that it entails, that all that Jesus has done for us helps us to see that we do have a confidence for this day. But it's not found in the circumstances of our lives changing or improving. But it's found in the one who wore the helmet in our place to give us a victory we could never have won. So our confident courage, our confident courage for this day begins and ends with us looking to Jesus. It begins and ends and everything in between with us looking to Jesus. What do I mean by that? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 might be familiar words for you. There's something very important in the middle of it. We think about the stuff that happens before it and the stuff that comes after it, but there is something very tangible, very relevant for us in the middle so Hebrews twelve one and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, at the middle is this call to look to Jesus. It's actually an ongoing thing. It's a a present reality that has ongoing implications. Looking. As you are looking to Jesus, you are enabled to then lay aside the things that want to entangle you. And you're enabled to look onward into Christ in greater ways. Understanding His sufficiency for you. In His life, death, and resurrection. In constant reign and rule and intercession for you. But in the middle of all of that is this looking to Jesus. The bold claim that the uh, ultimate motivation to lay aside every weight and sin and to run with endurance, this bold claim is found simply in you first and foremost looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus begins the Christian life. And looking to Jesus is the end game of the Christian life. Therefore looking to Jesus. Is the daily privilege. Of the Christian life. We have nowhere else. To look. But to look upon. The one who has won for us. A victory we can never achieve. On our own. We look unto Jesus. Greatly helped in this. By. Um, a pastor who we sang. A song that he wrote. John Newton. John Newton said this about looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the duty, the privilege, the safety, the unspeakable happiness of a believer are all comprised in that one sentence. He said that in a letter to a believer struggling in the faith. Not in a theological tome, not in, in some sort of profound moment of preaching. He wrote it in a letter to a dear saint struggling in the faith. Looking unto Jesus. And that one sentence comprises all that we need to live with courage and joy in this life. It's a confidence that's fixed on Jesus. We cannot fix our confidence on circumstances changing. Because they might change, and they might change for the better. And then they might change again, and then again, and again. And you get the point. Don't fix your confidence to live out your life on something that could shift and change. But that which does not change. That is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. Fix it on Jesus. And as you do, we find that you'll have courage to live as if Jesus is worth it. As, G- as if Jesus is ultimate. You'll have courage to do that. I love a moment in John chapter 9, in that gospel account. Jesus does something um, amazing. Shocker. Uh, spoiler alert. Sorry. When you do get there, yeah, Jesus is doing something amazing. Um, heals a man that was born blind. It's a fascinating story. Of a blind man who was healed by Jesus. And then this guy was brought before the religious leaders of the day. And he was grilled. And he was skewered. And he was mocked. And he was ridiculed for his story. They berated him and threatened him multiple times. When they brought him in again for another round of berating. He said these words. Whether he, Jesus, is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know. That though I was blind, now I see. In that moment, he it would have been a lot. He could have erred on the side of self-preservation at this point, but he didn't. He didn't have all of the answers. I'm encouraged to see somebody in the Bible say, "I don't know." But he had enough of an answer. And that enough of an answer was enough courage to face a very intense situation in which everything around him was coming down on him simply because he said, Jesus, heal me. The more we take up this helmet of courage, or excuse me, this helmet of salvation, the more courage that we have in the face of any kind of suffering. Time with Jesus will produce courage in our lives. I say that again. Time with Jesus will produce courage in our lives. Courage to face a world eager to berate our joy and hope. Courage to get up each day and to look unto Jesus. Courage to share our lives with others so that they may know Jesus too. If our confidence and courage was fixed on our circumstances, then it will be fleeting at best. But confidence fixed on Christ sees beyond the circumstances, sees beyond that to one who is greater and has courage to live a kingdom life in a fallen world. As we think about that, in light of what we see there in John 9, in light of what we see play out in the schemes in this world, let's go back to our little lobster trap. There we are in the kitchen grabbing the bait of some good aspect of life, thinking that this will solve the angst that we feel, only to realize that it's a trap, and we funnel in further into the parlor. And in the parlor we find something totally nefarious, something there that wants to undermine what we believe about God, what we want to believe about His willingness or ability to save sinners, chiefly us, In that parlor, in a space that we cannot escape of our own, we hear that same phrase, Did God really say? And that little phrase is like a time-release bomb that goes off in our hearts. In the plumes of doubt, start to fill all of the spaces it undermines our belief that God can save that he has the ability to save it undermines our belief that God will save that he has the desire to save and and then it it comes at us from all these different angles it makes us think that God might have the ability to save and might have the willingness to save but definitely not me not for me that's what happens When that bomb goes off in our hearts. Imagine this exchange while trapped in the funnel of that parlor. In that lobster trap. Can God really save? And you muster up just enough to say yes. Are you sure? And that yes turns into a question mark. Yes? Really? Really? And now you're not saying words anymore. You're just making guttural sounds. Uh Uh-huh. Why? Well, because God loves. And then here it comes. But you? Really? You? When we chase after things in this world to be ultimate, we're going to find emptiness on the other side. And that's when we get crushed. Crushed with the, the weight of unbelief provoked to the highest of levels. But when we take up that helmet of salvation, we are countering that scheme. We're saying something greater to that which we are wrestling with. Once again, John Newton, he says this to encourage a weak and wobbly saint. Compare Your sins with His blood. Your wants with His fullness. Your unbelief with His faithfulness. Your weakness with His strength. Your inconstancy with His everlasting joy. You have all of that in Christ. Greater than all that you may struggle with in this life. The helmet Of salvation defends us from the schemes of this world seeking to trap us and emboldens us to live as if Jesus really is ultimate. The waywardness of our hearts, the unrelenting schemes of this world, the targeted opposition of the devil all demand something bigger to be our sure hope and confident courage. In the helmet of salvation, you have that something bigger. So, I would say, look then unto Jesus. The one who has rescued you from your sin. And restored you right to God. Whose works can never be overcome by anything else. The one who gives you a sure hope and a confident courage. Let's pray. God, we... Thank you for your word, and we pray that it would find a home in our hearts as weak and wobbly they may be. And whatever it is that we may be wrestling with right now, God, I pray that we would look unto Jesus and see in his life, death, and resurrection the means of our salvation, that we would take up this helmet, hold ever so tightly to it, that you have done for us what we could never do, to give what we could never gain. We'll never lose what you have provided for us. Because, God, you are gracious and good you are powerful and near you are for us not against us draw our hearts to you all the more we pray may we have a sure hope and a confident courage all our days and in this day we pray in jesus name amen